Welcome to the Produce Industry Podcast, your weekly download on current events, trends, market reports, and community discussions. Join us each week from Tampa, Florida, as we cover all aspects of the produce supply chain industry. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Patrick Kelly. Welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Patrick Kelly. As always, I am honored to be here coming to you live from Tampa, Florida. Now, today is Monday, August 3rd, 2020, and that's right, it is National Watermelon Day. Do you have your watermelon to slice up? I saw this cool post on Instagram that showed how to cut a watermelon with floss. That's right, dental floss. It was actually posted by Harvest Joy on Instagram, who I met at the PMA Food Service Delivered concert. So I suggest you going and checking that out. But we have an episode that covers all things watermelon with Megan McKenna at the National Watermelon Promotion Board. So check out that episode that I posted earlier today. Let's also give a huge shout out to Terra Exports LLC out of Las Vegas, Nevada for becoming one of our first fancy partners, as well as Ag Tools out of Irvine, California for being our very first choice sponsor. So get ready, we have more information, more valuable content, and more fun coming with these two new partners on the show. But right now, we are going to talk with Molly Van Loo of United Fresh. That's right, we're going to talk a little bit more about this Farmers to Families Box program. We're going to talk about the new RFP that's opened up, how to apply, and if you want to participate, let's talk about how we got there, right? The good, the bad, the ugly through the first two rounds. And why is this program so important for the entire industry? It is an incredible, stressful time for Americans today, especially parents. I know this being a parent myself. So let's learn a little bit more about the Farmers to Families Box Program with Molly Van Lu. Hey, Molly. Welcome to the show today. Hey, Patrick. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Hey, happy National Watermelon Day as well. Today is all things watermelon. I've got my mini watermelon already out, ready to go. I was actually thinking about either doing a Facebook Live or a YouTube Live, eating some watermelon today because it is National Watermelon Day. So I did want to give a shout out to uh, everyone for National Watermelon Day today. Yeah, and I actually have some, and not because it's National Watermelon Day, but I have some in front of me. Um, they're so good this year. I'm really happy. You know, it's funny. I was talking to Megan McKenna over at the National Watermelon Promotion Board, and she's like, you know, I know National Watermelon Day is coming up, but we eat watermelon every day. So, right, it is one of those staple items, like you just said, that it is in your home, and we are produce people. So, if you don't have some type of uh, citrus, watermelon, avocados, or something in your home, well, we just think you're crazy at this point, right? right. So, <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing here? Really good. Yeah. So listen, but today I think it's going to be really cool because as I've talked in the past about the uh, fearful or fruitful, the F2F farmers to families box program, the USDA is releasing round three and United Fresh has been playing a big part behind the scenes. And if our industry doesn't know, they're about to find out today how big of a part you've been playing in this. And I think that's how we want to start with this because we need to give education to our industry. And I talked about that in earlier podcasts that if we're going to make this thing successful and not really complain all the time about who got the bids and who didn't, we need to get educated on what's out there and how to get things done. Am I right, Molly? Yep. Nope. I'm totally with you there. That sounds great. So yeah, let's do that today. So we're going to go over a few things and really let's start talking about this though, because I know that this RFP is now open. I've looked at it. 
Uh, my company is deciding not to participate in it on the standpoint of uh, going after it direct. But let's go over this, Mike. Talk about some of these practical details for us. So let's get our industry educated on what's happening in the F2F program. Yeah, sure. So this, as you said, is round three. And about a week ago, USDA announced um, what is called uh, the, a basic ordering agreement. So it's a little bit different than what you saw in round one or round two. That was uh, kind of a traditional request for proposal that it happened really quickly. You had to get in your submission um, within a week. USDA had a week and they reviewed it and then they picked winners. Um, and those awards have been extended from the spring uh, all the way through the end of the summer. With the basic ordering agreement, USDA took a little bit of a di different direction. Um, and what they did is um, basically there's a two-step process. So if your company interested in this, you step one is to fill out this basic ordering agreement, which is kind of like an RFP. Um, to USDA and instead of like last time, you know, one of the criticisms was that companies made really minor mistakes and that was enough to um, kind of take them out of consideration. And this time there's a little bit more opportunity for collaboration between USDA and the applicant to, uh, to tweak applications and kind of get it to a good point. Um, so USDA will be collecting these um, original kind of bids uh, and they, it's, they haven't given a deadline. So basically they're gonna collect them until they feel as if they have an adequate pool of applicants for each USDA region. And then they will issue what's called like essentially the real solicitation. So they might, um, you know, if you're in the Northeast, they might, I think the example that they gave on the webinar was perhaps they'll issue a solicitation for all of Maine, or they'll issue a solicitation for five zip codes in Maine. Um, or uh, certain opportunity zones. So maybe a certain part of Chicago, they'll issue an RFP solicitation for. And then that's when the companies that were already approved in that step one um, for that region can put in a very specific bid that will be competitive um, with other folks that have been selected to participate in that region. Um, and then they, they would be issued the award. Now this one just goes from September 1st through the end of October. So it'll really vary um, how long those contracts are, but it will be within that time frame. So it looks like it's a little bit different than the last season, or as I say, right? The last two rounds. And a lot of people in the produce industry called foul. I think you probably saw that on LinkedIn. Heck, I saw all the way to Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. I mean, everywhere. I was seeing everyone calling foul. And when I mean calling foul, it was on both sides. Some of the people that were awarded, uh, they got too much and couldn't uh, procure the program in time. And then others, they weren't awarded at all that thought they were going to get awarded. And throughout this, we saw a lot of successes and we mm -hmm. saw a lot of failures, right? I mean, there's plenty of companies that we can go into, but we're not going to because we want to keep this positive and enlightened for our listeners. But I think that that's really cool that the zip codes has now come up because I remember a good buddy of mine talking about uh, the Houston market and he was saying that one guy got the Houston market or one guy got the San Diego market. And it's like, wait a minute, how, how is that fair? And I understand we're getting into business here and everything's not fair in business, but looking at 
fairness to the people that are receiving this food, right? So how many times or how many different places do they have to go to? So opening up zip codes, I think is kind of cool. I think that opening up, letting each state, right, as you said, is also another good thing to do. Because then, like I said, you're prioritizing each community, right? Because if we do one big, huge bid uh, based out of one location and not knowing each, you know, each district, right, each state, each local county, each town, um, how are we going to be able to feed those needs for those, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think part of the, the challenge with the, this particular program was that, especially for a federal program, it got off the ground really quickly, right? Like at the time, it didn't feel like it was quick enough. Um, but when you think of a program, I mean, it will have purchased $1.7 billion in fresh produce by the end of the summer. That's a type of program that usually takes years for USDA to put together for us to go on the hill and advocate for money for it. And, um, you know, COVID obviously hit about mid-March and the first deliveries went out in mid-May. And obviously that was like a really devastating two months, um, but it moved really quickly. But kind of a, because of that, there were kind of lots of things that, you know, I think if we would all have developed this program and have full say in how it goes, um, we wouldn't have developed it exactly like that. And one of the challenges was that the onus was really on the applicant or the distributor to identify the nonprofits and the food banks um, on their own, which was very challenging. Um, certainly folks that already had those relationships were in a better position to do that, but it was just this kind of mad scramble. And there definitely are gaps um, in service because of that. Um, you know, now like the plus side of it, you could kind of, again, if you had those existing relationships, you could kind of make it work, or if you were already serving them, you know, some uh, companies kind of had private relationships where they were selling in the private market with these food banks that they could transition that really easily. Um, but yeah, the zip codes will hopefully allow um, USDA to kind of target areas that have been underserved previously. Because it's really hard for the companies to know, you know, exactly where they should be going with this food. But oh, now exactly. that the word is out, yeah. I mean, I haven't heard of a single company that was awarded that hasn't had more requests from food banks like now that the word is out that this is there um you know this program could be increased significantly and still wouldn't meet the need yeah for sure and i want to see it happening more and more uh now listen i have a lot of buddies uh in the supply chain and produce industry and i've heard that box counts are going down food banks are throwing food away and then i hear from other guys um that it's going through the roof um, I don't know directly, like I always say to people, I said, I can't tell you directly because I haven't been to a food bank uh, since I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, checking out our box program when it was happening. But there are all, all sides of the spectrum. But listen, like we said, we want to make sure that we get the education knowledge out to the industry. So if they or if someone uh, wanted to apply for this, uh, where can they go to start getting the information to apply for this new uh, round three? Yep, absolutely. So I was going to give you the web address, but not surprisingly, it's very long. It's on the USDA website. So really the best way to do it is to just Google USDA Farmers to Families Food Box Program, and it will take you to their landing page. And there is, um, it's, there's a heading that says now accepting applications, and you'll see the link to the basic ordering agreement and the checklist. 
Um, and then there's other information on there too, like existing um, contractors. You can look at the map to kind of see where those existing contractors are, what the USDA regions are. Um, so your best bet is to, to go just to that website and, um, and check that out. There's also a webinar. I wouldn't bother, folks shouldn't bother, I think, with the earlier webinars from April and May because those were so specific to the round one and round two of bidding. Um, but there was a USDA webinar from July 28th that folks should definitely um, watch if they haven't already. And then I'm also happy to, to answer anybody's questions if they want to reach out to me. Yeah, for sure. That was going to be my next question was, it sounds like United Fresh is being an advocate for the industry on this program. And it seems like if you need help with this or have questions about um, this whole program or anything else, get in touch with United Fresh. They've got some answers. They're working uh, with USDA. Heck, I know their Washington public conference is going to have, or policy conference. I say that wrong. Molly, I said it. I think I did. <laughs> Um, is going to have Sonny Purdue as a speaker. Um, you guys are going to have some good people talking about the programs and what's going on. Um, so yeah, I, I'm glad you said that. So please, if, if you have any, anything that you need to talk about this uh, F2F program, please reach out to Molly and she'll give you some contact information at the end of the podcast. Um, but I do think that's great. So Molly, as this program though started, and this is what was so interesting because um, I've been reading and researching a lot of this, you know, DTC model and this farmers to family model. And I agree with you. I think it can go beyond just COVID-19. I think there's a lot of families that could use this uh, prior and post, right, uh, of this whole deal. But pretty much how we got here, right, we talked a little bit about how the first two rounds went. But I don't think really anybody understands how we got to actually developing this program. I mean, why did it all of a sudden happen? I know it was COVID that we said, we're going to start this program right now, right here. And, and I know it was a crazy time to, you know, get the application process done and everything. But at the end of the day, when everybody got off all these webinars, all of us were calling each other and going, what the heck's going on? Did you understand that? Why are we doing this? Where's the fruit going? How, I mean, right? So this was a lot of questions that the industry was having and still kind of have to this day. Yeah, no, it's, it, makes a lot of sense that people had questions. So essentially, you know, when COVID hit, we, United Fresh, we have a government relations department. That's what we live and breathe is to kind of represent the industry um, all year round, but certainly uh, when COVID hit, that heightened. And so we were talking to USDA and saying like, listen, um, and Patrick, I know you and I have talked about this before, but USDA doesn't have a ton of experience with fresh produce, period. That's just not kind of the space that they've operated in historically, and we can certainly talk about, you know, why that is, but in our conversations with USDA, we were saying, like, listen, 40% of fresh produce in this country goes to restaurants, schools, food service, so when that shut down, you had this entire supply chain that is efficient, and capable and under underworked and underemployed right now and use them. And simultaneously, you know, you were seeing these heartbreaking images from food banks where, you know, people were lined up to try to get food. There wasn't enough food because of unemployment. And then throw in this unique situation of the need to social distance, um, which meant the way, and food banks have done a really fabulous job in the last 
10 to 20 years of they are offering a lot of more fresh produce than they used to and they offer kind of a more of a retail experience uh, where people can come in and uh, you know make choices for themselves but that just doesn't work right now um, and certainly wasn't working in the spring um, they needed something that was more pre-packed and ready to go to limit social distancing not only for the clients but for the volunteers as well so we communicated to usda and said you have this supply chain they certainly usda was not familiar with the distribution and wholesale um, distributor part of the supply chain and said you, know, you can use these folks to do this packing um, and and kind of do that step and so the the pressure isn't on the food banks to necessarily do that. Um, so that was what we communicated to them and they were really open to that and so much so that they decided to ex extend it to meat and dairy too. Now, of course, how that <laughs> program came out wasn't exactly how we would have picked. There were plenty of situations where the contracts did not go to you know the right people and didn't work exactly as it should have, um, okay. but that was kind of the onus for it, yep. It's learning, right? That's a, that's a part of life, success and failures, which I think that uh, I'll be real with you. I'm kind of glad it happened the way it did because I think it got people on their toes of how they have to react and actually be in business because during this, I've had a few people on the show that have said they've had the best year ever and some have said they've got new business and some have said they're in a horrible spot, but I think it kind of opened everybody's eyes about how much business they could get or they could have lost. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been amazing to see how, um, you know, obviously for so many reasons, I wish this wasn't happening, but just to see how the industry has evolved, um, you know, direct to consumer is just wild. And I think one of the silver linings to this, which is hard to find, but I think people, the public, the government are so much more aware of where their food comes from. And we've talked about that forever. Um, and I think people in general have, you know, a sense of the grower, you know, even if they don't even understand how hard that is, but people can understand the farmer or the grower, but the rest of the supply chain, I think people were just completely ignorant to it. Um, and direct to consumer has certainly helped with that. I mean, how many wholesale distributors have transitioned to that and people didn't even know they were in their communities, right? I 100% agree with that. I think that a lot of people were seeing like, wow, this is a viable option for food. And I think a lot of it, if you were part of your community before, it enhanced a lot and you now have a, a different step to your business. And then that's going to evolve and we're going to figure out how to do that. But I think we're very capable as an industry. I think as we evolve in technology, we involve our platforms, our verticals, right? Our, our systems and structures, our supply chains, um, that, that we will get there. You know, and this is actually a perfect time to take a break though to Mollet and hear from a couple of our partners. Great. Are you ready to enhance your skills? Every day we are tasked to make fast, effective decisions to keep up with the fast-paced produce industry. At AgTools, we take the pressure off of gathering data to help make your day easier and more enjoyable. Connecting the supply chain with AgTools is unique, practical, and easy. AgTools can be used from multiple angles of the produce industry from farmers all the way to logistics companies. We call that 360 degree decision making day after day. Visit www.ag.tools.com to gain more reliable and relevant data to see more, achieve more. 
And now, back to our show. Welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast. It's always great to hear from some of our partners of the show. Huge shout out to Terra Exports and Ag Tools. So let's get back talking with Molly on the Farmers to Families Box Program. You know what? I'm going to start off and just be like, listen. This is a hard, hard program. It was really crazy for our industry. And when I say hard, I mean it was a hard process for the application. It was a hard process to get the boxes and everything made. It was just a hard process overall, overall to, to find the, uh, the food banks. But we need to get into why is it so important though? Because a lot of hard things that happen in life normally can be pretty important, right, Molly? So let's talk about why this is important for the entire industry. You know, even though it was looked at, uh, you know, fearful, now it's looking at it as fruitful. Talk to me about why this program is so important. Yeah, so I think that there's kind of the the current and the existing impact that it's had. And Patrick, I know we've had conversations about this too. And you, know, you can probably talk about the business aspect of it more, but I, I know I mentioned this already, but by the, between May and the end of August, $1.7 billion in produce will have been purchased through this program, which is more than USDA has spent on fresh produce in the last several years combined. And if you would go back, um, and they spent more because of the trade mitigation issues, but if you kind of would go back even further, that um, increase would be even more significant. So 95% of the produce that USDA purchases through feeding programs, which are things that go to the food banks, that go to schools, um, and other emergency feeding sites are not fresh. Um, and part of that is logistics, just how kind of that USDA structure works of you know, typically they process things and then it gets put into some sort of storage unit that the state runs and then it's distributed from there. I'm kind of oversimplifying things. Um, so part of it was logistics. Um, but I think what we've really shown when we think long term is that we've shown that there is a demand for fresh produce among low-income consumers that I think sometimes people make assumptions about that. And again, food banks have done a really good job of um, getting more fresh produce privately to, to individuals. But I've shown USDA that there is this full supply chain that's fully capable. Um, and again, we know farmers family wasn't perfect. It didn't work out exactly as it should have. Um, but 50 million boxes have, as of last week, have been distributed. And in our conversations with folks, it sounds like produce is going, there were meat delivery boxes and milk and dairy products and that produce is really kind of, the crown jewel of this program and it's what is working the best. And I think that that's a huge testament to the fresh produce industry and how folks have kind of stepped up and adapted. And even when it wasn't ideal, um, they've made it work. Um, but this program, you know, our hope is that we can kind of come together as an industry and make the case of the importance of incorporating fresh produce into USDA feeding programs. And we've made so much progress in the last 10 years um, with school nutrition programs and how the distribution there, which could be a whole other podcast, um, works is really interesting and fascinating and works. Um, but can we extend that even further and make this more of a long-term sustainable program? And it probably won't always look like it does now. I mean, the idea of 
produce boxes is very much specific to the current environment of COVID. Um, and as things get better and we, I mean, hopefully there's not going to be as much of a need for food through food banks um, as unemployment uh, goes down and people get back to work. But um, I think that there's a couple ways to look at it. One, we want to have a system in place that if we're ever in crisis like this again, we can pick it up and kind of pull a lever and immediately put the industry to work and not have to wait for a few months and it doesn't have to be as chaotic. But then can we um, figure out a system where we can get fresh produce to food banks and nonprofits um, in a way that works for them. So maybe it's more like how it works in school foods is that there's a catalog that schools can choose from and order and packs that work for them. So again, like it might not always need to be a food box because it's very specific to this current environment, but is there a mechanism we can put in place? So there's kind of a long-term supply chain that's supported by USTA for folks that are interested in going that route um, to get food to food banks. You know, Molly, it's crazy because I, I was able to find one. I went when I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, checking out um, the packing and then checking out some of the um, 5013Cs that were out there delivering the boxes. I actually am in Florida and I hunted to find where I could find these boxes out here as well because I did want to see them. So I did. I had my mother-in-law. She found one up near uh, Lake County, which is near Leesburg, Florida. And she picked up one of the boxes. Uh, she went to the, one of the local county fairs where they were distributing them because I wanted to see too what was in them, right? And what she you know, came out of it was she was like, oh, it had all your essential goods. It had your carrots. It had your onion. It had your potatoes. So it was more like it was coming to the, uh, uh, the day of, okay, now I have things to prepare a meal with. And now I have things to, to move forward with, with food on. But I don't think that is going to stop. Like, I think that even without the pandemic, if we give people um, the supply to cook with, right, then it's going to, I would say it's going to like probably tri triple fold, right, or even sevenfold. People are going to buy more fresh produce. They're going to want more fresh produce. But I do agree, right, we want that unemployment rate to go down. We want people back at work. But we already know there is an unemployment rate in America, regardless of, of any uh, pandemic situation, everything that's going on. We always have some um, that are there. And I think that this box uh, can still be out there, like you said, just like the school programs. They can look at what to order. They can see a need, feel a need. Do you remember that, that movie, Robots? That uh, it was, I think it was a Pixar movie called Robots. And uh, there was this guy, his name was Mr. Bigwell. And it was so funny because that was like his, his main um, like state like line was see a need, fill a need. Right. And I think that this, yeah. this program is going to do, we see a need and our industry can fill that need. Right. Yeah. I, I think we can. So I think beyond COVID and I think if we have this program and structure in place, then if something happens, uh, to our community, uh, to our globe again, then we are going to be faster to react, right? Some things that I've talked about with many people on the podcast is putting new systems and structures together. I've had many great leaders talk about uh, their being resilient and reactive, now being proactive and aggressive now on how they're going to build their business, build new structures, build new systems. So if we do this today, we then have a structure 
and a contingency plan that to keep this going if we need it at a larger scale. And that kind of moves into um, talking about the importance of this as well as why uh, this is important for families in America today and why we should keep building this program. Because um, as a parent, I know this, this COVID has been crazy. And my wife's a teacher and our world has not changed. Even her going back to work, she's still working from the laptop at home with her being pregnant. She's on a different level. So they will not let her come back to school because mm -hmm. she's at a higher risk to get COVID because of her immune system. So it's like my world isn't changing. And I think a lot of people's worlds aren't changing either as what I mean by as COVID changed. Now they're in this new normal that everybody's talking about. My kids are going to be online schooling. My wife's going to be working from online and I'm working from home. So it's not, it's not changing. It's, uh, these things are still going to be happening in the future. So like I said, if we can have this plan in place, I think that's going to be great. And as a family member, I mean, listen, how crazy how has it been um, getting food, getting items from the stores? It's been crazy just trying to get certain items. Am I right? Totally. Yep. And I think it's just been such a, um, in talking to folks that have participated in it, both um, you know, I've heard directly from, and it's really hard, I get emails like a few times a week from, um, you know, people in need that are trying to find these food boxes and are, you know, looking for directives on where they can go. Um, but also talking to participants, uh, like distributor participants that were awarded and that are going to these distribution sites and, um, you know, what's come up a lot is like the dignity. Of course, like nobody wants to go pick up any free food, right? Like that is a difficult thing to do. But when you can do it with dignity and you're giving people fresh food, um, it really does make a difference, right? And we know that um, in general, you know, I'm a nutrition person, so I would be remiss if I did not mention that all Americans, like, 10% of Americans meet dietary guidelines recommendations for fruit and vegetable consumption. Um, so we have to find ways to increase exposure and increase access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And this program alone can, of course, not um, address that completely. But, you know, people on SNAP benefits, even if they have SNAP benefits, generally they're, they're pretty low, you know, $150 a month or so per person. And, you know, sometimes fresh produce cannot feel attainable. Um, you know, I think that sometimes there's a misconception about its affordability, but due to perishability or if people just weren't exposed to it, it can be a risk to uh, a perceived risk to buy that fresh produce. If you think like your kid might not like it, you might go for something that you guarantee they're going to like because every single one of your food dollars needs to count. So we're really providing um, exposure with this program as well. And there's so many people that through no fault of their own experienced unemployment overnight. And the idea that they can kind of take back this fresh food that they might've been serving to their family before, and they don't have to um, take home this prepackaged, you know, really cheap, um, maybe not totally good for them. Um, food to their families, to everybody's stressed right now, right? Like it's just kind of a stressful environment, even if you still have work. So imagine, you know, those parents that are trying to put food on their table and being able to come back with fresh fruits and vegetables, um, the sense of normalcy that that can provide for people, I think is really important. And then I'd also be remiss not to mention that 
you know, the data coming out is really showing that the impacts of COVID are so much more severe for people that have pre-existing diet-related chronic disease. Um, so it does create a, a larger conversation, and certainly that goes beyond the Farmers to Families program of how in the U.S. do we kind of change our dietary patterns and get folks more fruits and vegetables to, to get us on a better path. So um, we're not only better equipped of how to feed people if a crisis happens, but that we're in a healthier place to be able to um, kind of fight back for something like COVID. Yeah. Healthy mind, body, spirit, all the above. Check me for, you know, signing up for that, right? Because <laughs> exactly. it, it, it's just crazy. Uh, I mean, how we think about things right now, but I think it's going to be even crazier is how we think about things differently in the future, right? I had a professor in my master's degree at Fresno State. His name was Dr. William Rice. And he would always say, think about how to think about things differently. And you were like, what? And he's like, yeah, you got to think about how to think about things differently all the time. And it's so true um, because if we think about all these different things in the future, um, it's going to get better, right? Because we're thinking about it now. We're thinking about how to be healthy, how to be conscious about our minds, how to be conscious about our bodies, staying safe from the COVID. So it's going to be very, very interesting in the next few years. And I'm looking forward to it as well. I'm looking forward to seeing this box program succeed. I'm looking forward to see some of the successes out of all these new ventures that people are doing uh, within 2020. So I, I think a lot of this is going to be good news for the produce and supply chain industry. So Molly, if anybody wants to reach out, get a hold of you, um, where can they find you? Where can they get more information from United Fresh uh, so we can further this conversation? Yeah, so um, and we have some stuff on our website about it, but easiest way is to just get in touch with me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, my email address is M as in Molly, V as in Victor, A, N as in Nancy, L-I-E-U at unitedfresh.org. Um, shoot me an email. I'd be glad to talk to you over email, uh, phone call. And we really do want to hear, you know, if this has benefited you, you know, ways in which we can make this better and continue to kind of advocate on the Hill and with the USDA to communicate um, kind of what the industry needs on this. And then we'd love to have people, um, Farmers and Family will be a uh, significant component of our Washington conference in uh, late September, which usually is in person in DC, but uh, for reasons that you know mention, we'll be going virtual um, and, and meeting with members of Congress on Zoom and doing workshops uh, to talk about this program. So we'd love to have folks join us for that and really kind of share your thoughts and, and you know, how we can continue to evolve and put our industry in a better position should this ever happen again. Agreed. And I thank you so much. And I appreciate you coming on the show today. And I hope you have a great rest of your week and happy National Watermelon Day. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm going to get back to eating my watermelon. You've been listening to the Produce Industry Podcast with Patrick Kelly. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Produce Industry Podcast. Until next time, see you in the fields or on the horizon.